eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for House of the Dragon, the first four phases of the MCU, a little bit of Star Wars, and a bunch of other stuff. My name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, it's a mailbag, folks. And in the nerd out, we got listener Swadi pitches Netflix's amazing She-Ra reboot. She-Ra! If you want to jump around, check the show notes for the timestamps. Of course, in the first thing we're going to do is open up the airlock and get into your mailbag. Here we go. We are stepping out of the airlock and we are opening up the flap on the beautiful bag of wonderful (laughs) missives that we have received from you as we step into the blessed year of our Lord, 2023. It's a future. Let's start with John and Brett. John and Brett ask, do we get Doom before Fantastic Four, like a post-credit in Quantumania or something else? Who should they cast? Please, you and Rosie vamp on The Good Doctor. (laughs) Rosie, this is an interesting question. I mean, it's a dream. I have have thoughts. Oh, yes. So many thoughts. I, I truly do believe that there was a version of Wakanda Forever that would have ended with a Doctor Doom post credit scene. I believe that yeah. would have fit. I believe it makes sense with uh, Namor, with the connections to Wakanda and, uh, you know, the now known as Talakan. But, uh, so I, I do believe that we will see Doctor Doom before we meet the Fantastic Four. He's one of Marvel's most incredible villains and Marvel Studios has never been able to make a movie with him in because of the licensing to Fox. So I think that's a character they can't get wrong and that they know could be their kind of next level Thanos, this kind of overarching God Emperor Doom. He can be the ally who turns into a villain. He can be your average kind of sort of small level villain that you don't see coming that becomes this huge omnipotent, kind of foe so i think i think we're gonna see him i would love to see him in quantumania do i think it's gonna be that soon i don't know what do you think i don't think we see him proper in quantumania but i do think that the way they could introduce doom if they were gonna do it is like as an image in the background we know that uh the version of kang that we met in loki was you know trying to keep the different malevolent versions of himself from coming to the fore. I would imagine that this Kang, this maybe more aggressive Kang, is also trying to keep different multiversal threats from threatening his power. And I would imagine that like if he was 
telling Scott the story of how he came to be, he might mention some of these threats and we could see like an image of Dr. Doom's mask, like in a computer screen somewhere. Yeah, I think I would be I would not I would not be totally shocked if that happened. And I think that's the way they do it. I think it's in this kind of quick because like obviously casting like we don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know how like and I feel like who knows? They're so good at keeping this shit quiet. But I also feel like if they had cast Doom by now, there would be something more than the kind of, you know, Giancarlo Esposito rumors and the Adam Driver rumors that are kind of out there. Like we we probably hear some pretty loud whispers. So in lieu of having like an actual Mm -hmm. cameo guest spot where you see him and don't hear his voice or hear somebody's voice that they've cast, but we haven't had the news yet. I think that you'll just get a very, very, very small clue to the existence of Doom in the form of like a picture of his armor in the context of like all these other versions of Kang that have that have existed throughout the multiverse and throughout time. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially if you think about how they introduced, you know, Thanos in the original MCU. You have that incredible Damien Poitier ending, but he doesn't say anything. And then when they wanted to, they could recast him. I still think it was a mistake, even though I love Josh Brolin. But, um, (laughs) you know, it would be easy for them to do a a mask. You don't see who's behind it. You can get an implication and then you can reveal. This actually does lead to one of... So so they also wanted to know who would cast, right? This leads to one of my favorite things that I've been thinking about a lot. Tell me. So... Uh, William Jackson Harper from The Good Place and Midsommar, he I got cast. I love that. He got cast in Quantumania. Now, a lot of people were like, oh, maybe he's going to play Reed. I would love that casting. It's delightful. But I actually think, I think he's going to play Nathaniel Richards. I think he's oh! going to be, yeah, I think, because I think that they're going to go young for the Fantastic Four. As much as my original fan casting that I did a couple of years ago on Nerdist was them older. It was like Keanu Reeves and and all these different kinds of people as older versions because I like that story. But I think it's this is their next generation of heroes. I think they're going to go young. So I think William Jackson Harper is going to play Nathaniel, who obviously then you've got Kang being the descendant and that sets up uh, Black Reed, which we kind of all thought was going to be the route that they go. And I think that could be so cool because then you get to see these different generations of the Richards. And just to uh, quick download for those um, not versed in the history of Kang and the and Reed and the Fantastic Four and Marvel Universe, Nathaniel Richards is a descendant of Reed Richards from the 30th century who uh, bored with the completely utopic and peaceful existence of the 30th century, uh, uh, decides to travel through time where he can get into some trouble. He finds a time machine. He goes back to ancient Egypt and becomes, you know, the, the predecessor of the person who then becomes Kang, starting the Kang journey, basically. So if that is correct, do they cheat, kind of, and do... Jonathan Majors Reed Richards. Like, think, is that a cheat? I think is it's that, one of the most I, I interesting the questions. I think that's on the table. I think it's on the of. table. I'm interested. So I think one of my, my me and my 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 friend James, we have a lot of uh, fantastic four thoughts. My wonderful friend James, and we have some some fan castings that we do for our own fun. But one of the ones that really stuck with me for for Doom that I think about a lot that I think could work really well with this is um and it's unexpected because he's quite he's he's not a looming tall figure but he's very serious and i think he'll be very good i think you could do a great uh john david washington doom and i like that i like the idea of having 
this Fantastic Four and Kang kind of storyline become this unexpected space for all these incredible Black actors in the MCU, especially because, you know, Kang is not, I love Kang, but he's not particularly like well-known character. And Jonathan Majors has already brought so much gravitas and kind of texture and weirdness to that role. So I'm expecting them to kind of follow on and do unexpected uh, casting. But yeah, I, I love I love thinking about who they're going to cast as Doctor Doom. My original fan cast that I did was Keanu as an older Reed Richards who'd been stuck in the negative zone and then young Doctor Doom who was going to be Adam Driver who now isn't really that young. But I do think Doom Adam Driver is like, that's a really interesting casting just because of how great he was as Kylo Ren. He brought so much yeah. weird strange emotion to that that I think Doom has. Obviously, Mad Mickelson, that's like the iconic Doom casting that I think a lot of people kind of immediately jump to their heads. I like all of those. I like the Giancarlo uh, Esposito kind of like rumor that is out there. I do. Let me ask you this, because this is something I've been thinking about. What Kang's coming first, right? Mm -hmm. Before any of the Fantastic Four, before Dr. Doom, etc. What I've been wondering about the relationship between Kang and Doom. Like, is, does Kang, you know, we know, understand that Kang has been, at least the Kang that we met in uh, Loki, existed to kind of keep the multiverse pruned and mm -hmm. kind of streamlined in order to keep the rise of various versions, more warlike versions of himself from coming to the fore. I've been wondering if, Along those lines, Kang is not like in this kind of multiversal struggle against Doom as well. Like he's trying, like, yeah, I no, wonder if I he's think not trying to keep Doom from showing up. I think that's a really interesting take. And I, I wish I could remember for the life of me. I do not remember whether this was my close friend, somebody who DM'd me something I read online. I saw an absolutely wild theory that leans into that, which is like the, the, the MCU as we know it is basically... God Emperor Doom's version of the Marvel Universe that he's that been controlling. And then a that, mind it would be so crazy, right? And then you have the idea of Kang basically trying to undo the MCU because he wants to get it out of Doom's control. I think that's so wild, but I absolutely love it. And I feel like we're going into a world now where it's, we don't know what's going to happen, but I think, I think that the nature of Kang being someone who is so many different people, so many different versions of a, of a person, so many different iterations, that leans into the empathetic. That means there are versions of him who want to do the right thing. And so I think pitting him against Doom and them almost being kind of equals in power is very interesting. And, and I think quite likely. So, you know, I think that the the way they do the quantum realm in the MCU is very similar. We've we've talked about this before, you know, to the negative zone. So I think that there's a big chance that there's already been some kind of... If, if Kang has lived every life and every multiverse possible, he's probably already met Doom. Oh, for sure. I mean, the thing that... Um, so when you reference God Emperor Doom, again, for those who don't know, this is, uh, th this is the Doom that after the kind of collapse of all the multiverses, um, molded reality in the image that he wanted and basically controlled the universe for uh, the period of time that is um, that is uh, shown in the crossover event, the, the Secret Wars crossover event, the Hickman's version of the yeah. Secret Wars crossover event. Um, and man, 
I think it would be, I think it's too much of a, all this didn't happen. Yeah, it's too much of a, it it, was all a dream. But it's also like, it's also really, man, that would be incredible. If they did it right, if they, if it was, you know, because like they've kind of gestured at least at um, the time runs out Mm storyline and the kind of collapse of all the multiverses. We saw that in in, uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and some other kind of like little snippets of imagery where you see like uh, galaxies, this image of galaxies colliding. And these incursions. Incursions. Yeah, the the actual usage of the term incursions, which sets up the time runs out storyline. I mean, that that is kind of there. I do wonder if... I wonder if we're going to get incursions before we get Doom or mm. if they're going to set up, if we're going to see Doom before we actually get incursions. I'm not sure they even know, but like that, there's a lot of pathways to get to Doom. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also the like, to your point, let's say they go young with the fantastic forecasting. Yeah. Uh do we see them? Do we see like a more down to earth, uh, just kind of not run of the mill, but a more standard comic book baddie doom in his early evolution? You know, mm-hmm. post the scarring, post Reed Richards, you know, from Doom's perspective, Reed's meddling in his experiments. He's got this, maybe they're both like tech bro guys. And it's, that does Doom seem ha- like the easy way to go. I hope they do something a little bit different, but I do think... I do hope that. I think now that... I mean, in the much maligned uh, fan four stick, as we call it, because the logo had a four in the middle for some yeah. unknown reason, uh, the, the, the most recent Fantastic Four movie, you know, they did it that Doom was like a hacker, which actually yeah. was like kind of even felt dated then. But I think yeah. that that idea, that is the thing that gives me the biggest hope for them being slightly aged up is because we've already seen the young Fantastic Four done and it didn't necessarily coalesce in the way people would have wanted. Um, even though obviously like Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm is like icon level casting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm very interested to see the route that they go. And I think that's the biggest question when it comes to casting is, are we seeing, are the Fantastic Four going to be aged up? They already exist. They've, you know, a long time. This is what I was saying. I used to say it when I worked in the comic shop. I'm still saying it now. I had always wanted a, you know, back then it was like Taika Waititi and he's directing a 60s Fantastic Four movie where they get thrown into the future and it's a fish out of water story. Those rumors are now going around that that might be what happens, in which case they already have to be established and we do have the X-Men as the young heroes potentially coming into the MCU. Yeah. But I still think, why wouldn't they want 20-year-olds so they can still be doing it in 20 years? You know, that is really how long these franchises go on for. So I'm I'm intrigued to, to see which way it I kind of also think that my sense is that, you know, if we see some version of a Fantastic Four origin story... We might not see Doom until like the second Fantastic mm. Four movie. It, or it might be some version of uh, scientists make an amazing discovery, a uh, dimension that scientists are calling the negative zone has been yeah, contacted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there seems to be. Avengers and then style. they fucking. And then they open it up. Right. Then they open it up and who comes out but Doom. And, the fa- and it's the Fantastic Four's job is to be like, is to try and stop mm-hmm. 
people from from accessing the negative zone. But yeah. I, but it's too late. I mean, um, I, I just quickly say I do think that's one of the most interesting things about Quantumania. I feel like within a month when we've seen it and we're talking about it, we're going to know a lot more because the what we've seen in the trailer is Cassie essentially creates a portal that opens up the quantum realm and then that is a problem which is a very negative zone storyline so i think we'll really see how much of those analogies are purposeful homages coincidental useful or actually concrete kind of you know the tagline for the new poster they released for the quantumania poster they released today said uh I think it's like, welcome to a new dynasty. Obviously, that makes us think of the Kang dynasty, but it could also be talking about the Richards. It could be many things. So it's very exciting times. Well, let's get to Kang. Jasmine asks, do you think we'll see a version of Kang in Loki season two, or will we just be teased with the whole season? I want more Jonathan Majors. She also asks, secret invasion question, what's your bets on the undercover scroll reveals over under? Oh, wow. Two good questions. Okay. First, Kang. I think we, ha- uh, you know, it's a good question. Is is Jonathan Majors going to be too busy? It ah. it certainly makes sense that I think that there's a way to do it, and I think they gestured at it with, uh, you know, when Loki, uh, you know, steps out into whatever reality he's currently in, and he sees this huge statue of Kang. I think there's a way to do it in which Kang is this shadow that mm-hmm. is like falling over the entire season without actually seeing him, and I. Th- I kind of think that that's what they're going to do, and they will save uh, Jonathan Majors for the movie. Uh, what is your What are your thoughts? I think basically almost exactly the same as you. I think you really hit the nail on the head. The only thing I will say, I think, is the wild card and the kind of hopeful bright light for us is who love Jonathan Majors is that the first season of Loki had that standout bottle episode that was really focused on Kang and that really worked. It went down really well. People loved it. So maybe there's a potential that we get a kind of reflection of that where we get the shadow of Kang the whole time and then the one episode. And it might be in the middle because you're learning about this universe's version of Kang where he is Kang the Conqueror or it might be at the end again. But I think there's there's potential for maybe an episode, but I don't think he's going to be our villain of the week, sadly, because I would love to see it. Um, what do you think about Jasmine's second question? Secret oh, invasion question. So many people asked scroll us reveals. about scrolls. So I still think you're 100 percent right. Maria Hill, that's the hundred percent a scroll. Hundred percent. She I, is a scroll. She's, she's, she's absolutely a scroll. a scroll. We're just saying it. If they <laughs> yeah. don't do it, that's gonna be like the best fake out ever. Other scrolls. <sighs> Other scrolls. I think that it's quite likely that um, the Contessa Valentina di Allegra Fontaine is a scroll. I like scroll. her. T- I I also like her for a scroll. I worry that it would be a little, uh, a little bit of the same kind of beat if Maria mm-hmm. Hill is also a scroll. But I like her for that. Maybe I like it's her for like a scroll. you have if you if they get into they're getting into every high part of the government and society. You have. Val, who's now like the the leading the CIA or something. And then you have Maria, who's trusted within S.W.O.R.D., you know, so they're kind of hitting both both segments. Who is who's our big hero going to be? I've always been the Jeremy Renner is a scroll believer. I think they could use it to get write well, out. Get some well of, soon, Jeremy. Oh, yeah. Get well soon. Get well soon. Um, but. I yeah. Who is if you were going to pick one big hero that they wanted to say? Oh, this person's been a scroll for five years. Who would it be? Um, Hank Pym. 
oh, that's a good one. And that could have big ramifications if they have easy access to the quantum realm. Yeah, it's such a hard question. I mean, I I feel like there's going to be one, maybe not one, but like a 0.75 average of characters mm-hmm, from each mm-hmm. kind of group, like yeah. from uh, Cosmic, from Spy Marvel, from exactly. Wakanda Marvel. So I think there'll be one in each. Like, I think Waka- Wong? Wong oh! would be shocking. Like, and yeah, I maybe... would not, it, it's not out of the question to me if Wong is Also, a like, so Bucky Barnes, I think, is like a, a solid choice. What I will say is, I will say that the thing that's hard to comprehend. And I think this, once the scrolls are in the MCU, people will understand it. It's hard to comprehend how much of a big deal it was when they were like, peace, they're all scrolls. It was huge. It was huge. (laughs) And the reason it was huge is because their behavior, they'd been there for so long that you never knew. And that's actually because editorial decided to do it. There was no seven years of seeding thinking that, oh, these people were scrolls. But in the MCU, that's why I think it's so hard because... We have yet to really comprehend the fact that if a scroll has been there, they will have learned all the patterns. They will have behaved. They that's why you would believe. So it could be Wong, it could be Bucky. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with I'm gonna say that no scrolls ever got into Wakanda. That was the rule in the comics, which was like, you know, uh see Wakanda and die, that like great three yeah. three issue run by by Jason Aaron. Like so I'm gonna say scrolls never made it to Wakanda, but that doesn't mean they couldn't have taken someone over outside of Wakanda and had them be a plant out in the world, you know? So yeah, I think who is a scroll was was a big question that we got. And I think that's going to be very interesting to see how much we find out in Secret Invasion. Because honestly, that's a TV show, but Marvel has not been afraid to drop yeah. big shocking things within the world of TV. This one is kind of cheating because it's plucked from the comics. But as we saw at the end of Hawkeye, uh, Linda Cardellini, a.k.a. Laura Barton, is Mockingbird, is the yeah. MCU non-ABC shield version of Mockingbird, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Mockingbird's return to the comics after many, many years being yeah. dead was in Secret Invasion when we realized that uh, they had kidnapped uh, uh, Bobby and taken her to fucking scrawl space mm-hmm. wherever to hold her prisoner. And... It, it it works. It goes. It translates directly to TV. I, I you know, she's already worked you in Hawkeye. I, I would not be shocked if no, Linda no, no. Cardellini I is think a scroll. That is a legit great call. Yeah, because one, we all knew that Linda Cardellini was gonna be made for bigger things than being Hawkeye's wife. You don't right. cast her as Hawkeye's wife, and then we found out she's Mockingbird. I think her being a scroll, and then seeing the fallout of Hawkeye having to. He's realized been, he's, been, he's been sleeping next to a scroll. And not just that, but he knows like, how many years. He's doing crazy missions in the Hawkeye <laughs> TV show, putting his family at risk to get back this watch for a scroll. For a scroll. You know what? Okay, so my biggest hope for scrolls is, you know, Secret Invasion. It's great. The Super Scroll, that's like a whole other thing because we need to get into the Fantastic Four before we can see a Super Scroll. But my biggest wish is. Will 3D Man be in Secret Invasion? Or will 3D Man be involved? In the comics, 3D Man, who is just the weirdest, weirdest, classic, like, 70s Marvel character, first appeared in Marvel Premiere 35, created by Roy Thomas, who truly must be raking in the cash right now because they are going through his back catalog, uh, and Jim Craig. And 
he has 3D glasses, right? Magical 3D glasses. But the way that they're used in especially Secret Invasion, but throughout the history of his comics with scrolls, he can see who scrolls are. And one of the coolest yeah. parts of Secret Invasion is like he just walks into this room of heroes and he's like, oh my fuck, they're like, like, oh my god. Yeah, like, what, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And he's like, they're scrolls. They're literally <laughs> scrolls. I would love to see him come into the scroll storyline at some point because it's just such a fun character. But it will be interesting to see because I feel like Secret Invasion was so huge in the comics. And Feige keeps saying this is like an intimate spy thriller. So I don't we don't know how much impact it's gonna have, but yeah, I think I think those are great bets. And I think you're that mocking you're always great with these scroll predictions. The mockingbird, that's my new favorite, even above Maria Hill. I think I think that's a great one. I, and you mentioned Bucky Barnes. We talk about Hank Pym, who's not certainly not necessarily like a top line Avengers level. But he does have powers. And he does have powers and he's been very important to the to the evolution of the MCU and has been running secret missions, you know, since the 60s. But like if there was one non-Bucky Barnes top level current living or dead <laughs> which would open the door to like them coming back living or dead like MCU character who is a scroll, who do you think it could be? Okay, if you're saying Bucky Barnes is a good guess. Okay. Bucky Barnes is a good guess. I like Bucky Barnes. If you're as like saying a top living level. or dead, I think yeah. the cruelest and most likely because the MCU loves him. I would say in my head, I, my choice would be like Captain America scroll. I think that's so interesting. <laughs> but the reality, I think, is like Tony Stark. The miraculous news of, oh my God, Tony Stark wasn't actually dead. Like he's actually been in cryostasis this whole time. And he comes back and he becomes this huge figure and this icon once again, but he's actually a scroll. That's incredibly bleak and amazing and would be very interesting because you could have some great storylines with the characters within the MCU, like Peter, who would just know for some reason he just knows, or Pepper just knows. And you kind of have this this war between wanting to imagine that he's back and and not. And I'm sure that and, Robert is dreaming of a way to find his self back in that I role. mean, it would, like, it, just in terms of what we know about the Skrull's powers, like, the suits would work. Like, yeah. it would read his DNA as Tony Stark. It would read his brainwaves as Tony Stark. I, you could do a thing where it's like, they took Tony to space and then whatever Skrull took over Tony with the idea that, oh, I'm going to, you know, uh, 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 bring down humanity from the inside study. But then he falls in love with being a hero and yeah, he does yeah. all the right maybe things like at the end of it. Maybe a Skrull was at Tony Stark's funeral. You know, okay, okay, what about this one? <laughs> this one's really out there. So one of my all-time favorite theories that I first remember um, the brilliant Joshua Yale at IGN. We were talking on like the Captain Marvel set visit. This is so long ago about what became one of my ultimate favorite theories, which is the kid from Iron Man 3 who got to keep one of the suits <laughs> becomes Iron Lad, right? That's yeah. like the dream. So they're saying at the moment, I, I spoke to that kid. I interviewed him once for IGN and he was just, that was his dream was that he could get to play Iron Lad and kind of go through that role. That seems unlikely now because, you know, Kang is Iron Lad, is Kang. So it's like, would they cast a white person? Would Harley be the right choice? But 
what if that kid is the scroll and the scroll who was at the funeral who gets the suit? <laughs> now that's what I'm talking about. Bring that kid back. Fake us out. <laughs> I like like it. people thought that I am the whole point of that original Young Avengers brilliant, you know, Jim Chung stuff is you thought that they were all analogs for established characters, but they were actually secretly kind of nothing to do with them. And Iron Lad was was, you know, revealed to be Kang. But I love this idea that they could fake us out by being like, oh, he's going to be Iron Lad. He's going to be this young new hero with this suit on. But really, he's a scroll. So I'm like, that's my one. Bring bring back the kid from Iron Man 3 and he can be a scroll. He was at Tony's funeral. Why was he there? Nobody's yeah. seen him for I, a long time. I have one more and then we'll move on. <laughs> this is this is a this is a. Uh, this is a tinfoil hat. We're doing it. We're tinfoiling. Yeah, we're doing it. Fuck it. But uh, uh, Matt Murdock. Love it. Daredevil. Here's the reason being this. First of all, new to the MCU, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So kind of a good inflection point to, to try something like that. Uh, two, he, as we saw in She-Hulk, because of who he is, the skill set he has, the fact that he's a lawyer plugged into all these kind of like different superhero concerns, mm-hmm. he can go take a meeting with the Avengers. He can go take a meeting with Doctor Strange. He can go uh, take a meeting with with whatever, you know, with the government. And he would be in, would, would have access to a lot of information if the idea is like, you know, I can... Uh, and and also is, would have the contact with, is, the, with the Marvel underworld. Yeah. So like th- there would be that opportunity to kind of like it, he'd be perfectly positioned in a kind of spy role mm-hmm. uh, if he indeed was a scroll. I don't think that's going to be. No, the but case. I love that idea. Yeah. And I will say that that does link to one of your best predictions, which was that Kingpin is a scroll. Hence why he now has these <laughs> six superpowers. I love that one. So I'm like, everyone in Daredevil is a scroll. Everybody's a scroll, baby. You are, When Secret Invasion comes out, you guys are going to be sick of us saying the word scroll. Because we're going to be <laughs> scrolling. Like... Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. I mean, to be honest with you, the only one that I am like 100% sure of is Maria Hill. Yeah. And kind of, and honestly, like, I feel like Laura Barton is a scroll. I feel like Laura Barton. Now I'm the Laura Barton believer. Just because of the, just because, like, in the comics, that's legitimately how they reintroduced mm-hmm. Bobby Morris into, yeah. into continuity. It was like, oh, she she actually didn't die. She was just in space with yeah. the scrolls. So we're going to move it on to the X-Men. It's time. One of our fa- all-time favorite topics. Have guys, you know, we rarely talk about them. <laughs> I feel like we, we never get to yeah, talk we, about them. Why do we do it this way? Yeah. This is a really great question. Ryan asks... Do you think Marvel would be better served introducing the X-Men slowly, one character at a time, like they introduced the Avengers, start with a standalone Beast movie, then introduce Jean Grey, slow play Wolverine, etc.? I feel like everyone is always speculating how they'll introduce the X-Men instead of a slow, methodical universe building. Maybe after a Secret Wars reset? Question mark. Well, guess what, Ryan? This is our number one favorite topic. How will they introduce well, the X-Men? Jason, how do you think they'll introduce the X-Men to the MCU? Well, I think that they will do it. I think the slow play is happening now. Mm-hmm. I right? do too. I with, agree. It, it, the slow play, like we're seeing the slow play, both with uh, the, uh, you know the reveals that happened in WandaVision, with uh, the, the you know various characters, Miss Marvel, uh, who have been referred to actively as like having mutations or being mutants. We saw again in Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. Um, I, and so I think that slow play is happening mm-hmm. where we're already getting familiar uh, with the idea that 
people are just born with powers for whatever reason and it's a and it's due to mutation and i think when we when it does come time for the x men i think it'll happen all at once i think we'll yeah. get them all at once I, I i do think the one outlier and we've said this we both talked about this a million times the one possible outlier being wolverine who you can see existing in mcu continuity right now mm -hmm. and since like the mm -hmm. 1920s or whatever you yeah. know like they, it, it's the original super soldier uh program was involved this guy named logan who is like a canadian mutant who they experimented on this became weapon x and it was like an offshoot of super soldier and he's been like in either in cryostasis or they wiped his mind and he's been running all kinds of secret missions and i think when they do introduce the x-men in a non-interdimensional way, mm -hmm. much like the Eternals, it's going to be and Wakanda and and uh, Namor and uh, and Talokan. It's going to be all at once. They've been hiding in plain sight. There's a school upstate. It's a school for gifted mm -hmm. youngsters, but actually, it's a school for superhero, uh, superpowered beings. They haven't gotten involved in the various fights yeah. going on because they don't trust humanity. They can kind of see where this is going. They might have any number of characters who can actually see the future and are saying, listen, we're going towards a bad place. Mm -hmm. If you reveal yourself, mm -hmm. we're already going towards a bad place. But if you actually reveal yourself during- the, It's going to be so know, much faster. Thanos. But yeah, between when the Thanos stuff is happening, when whenever fight is happening, when the battle in New York is happening, if you reveal yourself then, we're going to get to that uh, post-apocalyptic you know, a uh, genocidal time for the mutants a lot quicker. So don't reveal yourself. And I think I, I think they basically are around right now and they're just yeah. hiding your thoughts. I think so, too. I also think something that I've been thinking about a lot. I think I think you're 100 percent right. I think we've seen it with uh, the kind of reversion of, of Kamala back to her original origin, which was that she was going to be a mutant. And this kind of hint, I mean, she lives in New Jersey. It would be so easy for her yeah. to go to a school that was kind of upstate to see the way things go down. I think you're 100% right. They're seeding it now. What I think is very interesting is the timing of... And look, these schedules shift, right? But what we know yeah, right now is that phase five, kind of secret wars phase, this kind of, you know, 2024 onwards situation. And they did it. They did They did a, a, a very interesting ad in you know, India that was like Cassie saying, where are we in Quantumania? And it was like, phase five. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, we're there, right? But I think it's very interesting that Deadpool 3, which we know is going to include yep. Logan, is coming out in 2024, which is going to be within this kind of Secret Wars phase. And I think that is, is very telling we don't know what it means for Deadpool and Logan to be in the MCU. I've already positioned my theory that Deadpool's there to kill all the Fox characters and Logan's potentially helping him. I, I, I fucking love it. I hope it's I, I, like, I, I honestly hope that, I will, that that's what it is I because I absolutely it. love it. I will write it. it. I absolutely love but it. But like, you know, phase five from now to kind of 2024, I think that is very interesting. And I think that we could see... Deadpool and Wolverine as mutants, as potential members of a multiversal X-Men team. So they understand that the X-Men already exist, even if it 
isn't public here. I think we could see that be a way that they start to really see those words and characters and phrases, even if it's just a touch of it. And then I do believe that we would probably, with that movie coming out when it is supposed to come out, I believe we would probably see that version of Logan and Deadpool whenever the big Secret Wars kind of battle, at least in a cameo phase. Who will the other mutants be? When will we start to see, you know, Storm, who I believe is kind of your nowadays that's your primary x-men that you want to introduce mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. i don't know that's the thing that i find most interesting i my one big prediction that we've talked about before that i think is true is i think that post you know this kind of multiverse phase the multiverse saga i think it's going to be the mutant saga I, infinity I saga multiverse saga mutant saga i think that is it makes sense it kind of makes the most sense in that the mutants in the mcu gives you access to like an untapped mine of stories. Yeah, obviously they It's a it's a whole around world. in the Fox in the Fox verse, but you could do them again in a better, more streamlined, and more stuff we never way got more locks. You know, there's yes, there's so many locks. different kind of we've seen so many characters, but you know, we've never had a definitive bishop storyline, you know, one of the best mutants in the which, world. Which of course people have been which people have been people can't wait for bishop. Yeah, that's the I want Bishop so badly. You know, he, I loved. What the, a scum. I need that scumbag in my life. Right. We need, we, the, I, I loved the glimpse that we got in Days of Future Past. And I felt like there were things that were done there that were very interesting, but we didn't get to expand on them. So, I mean, I just, it, I, I think about all the different it, teams that we could see, all the different teams that we love that are now I, being brought back to life. Excalibur, New Mutants, like these teams that meant so much to we, us when we were kids. X Factor, you know, X Force. There's so, it's a whole, it's almost, I feel like that's the stage where these movies could step out of the MCU and it becomes an entirely different space. Now that, now that puts us several years off mm-hmm. and I think that that's probably what it's going to be. I will also say that I think that in addition to all the kind of seedings that we've seen, you know, Namor, et cetera, like all, all the things that we just mentioned. I do think that, and we talked about this some weeks ago when we discuss uh, AXE, the uh, Judgment Day crossover event in uh, that just finished up in, in Marvel Comics, written by Kieran Galen with art by a number of artists, including Valerio Shitty, that, um, that the Eternals, your, your eternal fave. favorites, do kind of give us <laughs> the most currently existing straight line shot towards the Mm X-Men because you could just say, because, you know, in that crossover event, the Eternals or a a, a faction of the Eternals are pitted against uh, the mutants because it it, it turns out that the mutation is actually a form of a deviation. They're actually deviants by another name. In fact, Deviants can take the uh, the Krakoan gates, telling you that genetically they are extremely similar. So I think that there is a world in which the Eternals, the mission of the Eternals, brings them into direct conflict with this thus far hidden uh, sect of deviants that we can then uh, can be then revealed to be mutants. I yeah. think that that is kind of our, our most direct straight line shot towards mutants in an earlier time frame than kind of like I think after so too, especially that's happening now. The Krakoa stuff has been so popular and has really reignited the X office in a way we haven't seen for a long time. So I wouldn't be surprised for a long time if the 
as an old school, lifelong, like middle aged, almost at this point, like X Men fan, it blows my mind to imagine that Krakoa wouldn't be too weird for them to put on screen. But it seems I feel that like yeah. the easiest, simplest direct line to what we already have. So I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if if we saw them start taking from that era. Well, it's the it's the problem that we talked about. That we've talked about mm-hmm. so many times before, which is that you can introduce them a million different ways. But the issue is the crux of of the mutant drama uh, is that the world does not accept them. They're hated and feared, baby. They're hated and feared. And uh, there's been multiple very successful attempts at wiping them out as a race mm-hmm. that have happened in Marvel Comics. And without that kind of drama and tragedy, you kind of don't have the mutants. You need the hated and feared. Now, again, I think they're seeding it again, as we saw with damage control and the, yeah, and, the, yeah, uh, yeah. and the prison that, w- that uh, we visited during Miss Marvel. I think that that's there, uh, you know, with S.W.O.R.D. and the kind of the way they're kind of pivoting S.W.O.R.D. to kind of study sentient computers potentially giving us an entree to Sentinel, yep. to the Sentinel programs. I think they're seeding all that stuff, but we need the hated and feared before the mutants. Like, I, I'm with you. It'd be, they could certainly say, oh, here's Krakoa and here's all the mutants and they've been hiding here. and it's been. But I think that it wouldn't have the same impact unless you get the mm-hmm. MCU writ large to a place and where I, people with powers are feared and mutants in particular are hated, feared, despised mm-hmm. to the point where people would be just kind of okay with somebody going to try and wipe them out. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that front. And that's like the biggest conflict. Also, again, I know it gets like this every time one of the MCU movies come out. It's because we're like so excited about what the implications could be. But again, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. I think Quantumania could set us even closer to that path where if... Kang or whoever gets out of Cassie's, you know, quantum kind of teleportation uh, conversation device that she created, which, by the way, somebody should have stopped her because that was a really stupid idea. (laughs) But like that opening that space to the quantum realm, introducing different kinds of powered characters who did not get their powers from military uh, suits or military experiments or the accepted ways yeah. in the MCU who are more cosmic in power, who are more reminiscent of, say, a Thanos, I could definitely see a route where Kang comes to our universe in the role of a benefactor who wants to help but is treated as if he is a villain like Thanos and that can stoke that fear and also create a conflict between Kang and his hopeful ally, Paul Rudd, who, by the way, I saw walking down the street in San Pedro this week filming reshoots, a little, reshoots cheeky, happening now. little cheeky additional photography in that same comic shop. What do you think that means? Obviously, I'm this very is very interested. Let, here's the thing. This is not uncommon, no. right? Reshoots. Reshoots are very, very common, particularly in in, uh, these kind of franchise movies, both on the DC side and the Marvel side. But it is quite late in the game. And I don't know for a fact that this is the latest reshoots that we've seen. But the movie does come out in like a month. So it's unusual. Right. I guess like Avengers, the shawarma scene was kind Mm -hmm. of like quick and dirty and very close to release. But 
Uh, it, what do you think it means? So so the scene that I saw them shooting, because it was just in my neighborhood, I was just wandering around, and um, they were they were doing a shot of him going into the coffee shop, and we saw the the same character actor, he was outside, who was in the coffee shop. So maybe expanding on that scene, because I think people really liked it with the Spider-Man joke, maybe it's an end sequence where he goes back and they thank him and they get his name right. That seemed like something that would make sense yeah. to me. Also... I did think the trailers, which looked amazing and completely wild and very Spy Kids, which is always a compliment in my opinion, I did think they were lacking on the traditional Ant-Man jokes. Ant-Man is very Mm. much the comedic kind of going back to phase one type movie. So I'll be very interested to see if maybe it was punch-ups. It was additional photography. They also were shooting in this very outrageous, like, classical restaurant that's kind of near called the J Tranny's. I saw them shooting outside. So I'm very interested to see what that would be because I don't believe we've seen anything in or around there. So, yeah, and and it was, uh, again, they were shooting, they were shooting San, Fran- San Pedro for San Francisco. So it's set, it's still there. It could have also just been easier to shoot here than going back to SF. But yeah, additional photography a month before the movie. I'm intrigued. There's a new trailer coming out quite tonight. Intrigued. So we'll we shall see. X-ray vision will be back. If waiting one whole week for new episodes is too long, grab your cape and strap in because X-ray vision is coming twice a week now. That's right, two episodes a week. Tune in every Wednesday and Friday for the hottest pop culture topics, deep dives, and more right here with us on XRV. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. X-ray vision is brought to you by Viore. Viore is a new perspective on performance apparel, perfect if you're sick and tired of traditional workout gear, that schlubby old sweatpants look that honestly I dabble into, but uh, it's not that adaptable. Here's the thing about Viore. It's all designed to work out in, but it doesn't look or feel like it. It's so freaking comfortable. You will want to wear it all the time. Seriously, it's probably more comfortable than whatever you're wearing right now. Here's the thing. And this is no BS. I'm being absolutely 100% straight up, real deal, holy field honest with you. I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> I'm wearing them right now. I'm wearing the uh, Viore uh, Sunday Performance Jogger in like a burgundy color. The product is incredibly versatile. It can be used for just about any activity like running, training, swimming, yoga, weightlifting, CrossFit. Or what about doing nothing? What about taking some time from yourself to just laze around, read some comic books, hang out with your dog, and do nothing? You can do that in Viore, too, and to do it very comfortably. And it's great for the planet. Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint. They're also reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond. They are utilizing better sustainable materials for their products, empowering your best active life. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash x-ray. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash x-ray. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash x-ray and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. This episode of X-Ray Vision is brought to you by Karyuma, the sustainable sneaker worn by skaters and surfers. Karyuma is reimagining classic sneakers with you and the planet in mind. It's the middle of winter. It's time to get real about layers, lining, everything that's going to keep you warm and comfortable when you head outside into that winter weather. 
When you leave the park at home, the bestseller Oka is just right. 20,000 five-star reviewers and 70,000 waitlisters, even your favorite celebrities, love this versatile, crazy comfortable shoe. This is Carrie Yuma's new school take on a classic sneaker. Take your pick of durable organic cotton canvas or ultra soft, responsibly sourced suede. Carrie Yuma says cozy shouldn't come at a cost to the planet. That's why they created Katuri and Okatherma, winter boots disguised as high tops. Made with 100% vegan and recycled materials and produced in a way that's ethical and transparent. One thing you should know about Karayuma. They're obsessed with comfort. Even their insoles are lined with vegan shearling. For every pair of sneakers sold, Karayuma's team plants two trees. One, two, count them. Two trees in the Brazilian rainforest. Karayuma ships all their sneakers free and fast in the USA and offers worldwide shipping and 60-day free returns. They deliver right to your front door using single-box recycled packaging and... For a limited time, X-Ray Vision listeners can get an exclusive 15% off your pair of Carium Seekers. Go to C-A-R-I-U-M-A.com slash X-Ray to get 15% off. That's C-A-R-I-U-M-A.com slash X-Ray for 15% off only for a limited time. X-Ray Vision is brought to you by Smile Actives. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Are your teeth aging you? Popular food and drinks are known to stain teeth beverages like coffee, which I drink by the gallon, and wine, stain them over time. So what can you do to brighten your smile? Well, you should give Smile Actives a try. Smile Actives is safe. It's a big deal. It's going to be in your mouth. Easy to use, and it will keep you smiling proudly. 97% of Smile Actives users in a clinical trial reported up to six shades wider on average, all within 30 days. That's a regular old month. Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? That's what we're talking about, right? Well, before you visit a dentist, which you should do, you should know that their whitening treatments can be very expensive, and it's not just the price. It's the hassle. You have to book the appointment. You have to schedule the time from work. You have to go leave your family and friends and sit in a dentist's office where it's all weird in there, and they're making small talk at you, and there's bad magazines. It's just, it's just annoying. Fortunately, now you can try Smile Actives at home or anywhere, anytime. Smile Actives offers a safe and affordable alternative to those expensive whitening procedures. Simply add Smile Actives Pro Whitening Gel to your regular toothpaste. That's it. That's the setup. How do you use it? Then you just brush your teeth. You brush your teeth like normal. It's been formulated with polyclean technology. What's that, you ask? It's more than uniclean and it's more than biclean. It's polyclean. It's lots of cleaning tech in one formula to boost stain removal and deliver active whitening ingredients into the teeth's grooves and crannies to get better whitening. Some products only get the grooves. Some products only get the crannies. Smile Actives is getting the grooves and the crannies. Smile Actives makes a teeth whitening gel that can simply be added to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth. What could be simpler? No change in your routine, no extra time, yet people will start commenting on your whiter, brighter smile in mere days. Smile Actives is the whitening boost your favorite toothpaste needs to give you the smile you deserve. Visit smileactives.com slash x-ray today to receive our special buy one, get one free offer and free shipping and handling. That's smileactives.com slash x-ray. And we're back. Um, let's continue uh, with with the Foxverse 
conversation. Uh, you mentioned Deadpool. Edward asks, and a deleted stinger from Deadpool 2, <laughs> Deadpool 2, Deadpool travels, what did I say? Deadpool 2. Deadpool 2. Deadpool travels, <laughs> Deadpool 2, which is the French version of uh, Deadpool 2. Deadpool travels back in time with the intent to kill a baby Hitler at the end of Avengers Endgame. Cap is you know famous for socking Hitler in the jaw, travels back in time to restore the Infinity Stones and learn to dance. If Cap gets wind of Deadpool's plans, does he jump back in time to help uh, Deadpool or does he stop him? Do the ensuing hijinks cause the Fox universe and the MCU to fold in on one each other? Um, A asks a similar question, uh, just asking basically how the uh, Fox movie characters and the MCU characters and the MCU in general could interrelate. Your thoughts? So I will say I like this theory very much. It's very smart. But I'll tell you one thing I know about Captain America from the end of the Infinity Saga. He didn't, he wasn't going to change shit. He literally let everything else happen so he could just dance with his little girlfriend. He left behind his uh, best friend, inverted commas, who he had literally (laughs) caused an international incident for. And then he was just like, peace out, Bucky. See you later. And then... I got to get there. I got to meet a girl for a dance. He literally allowed every single terrible thing to happen from the 50s to now. And he didn't do any single thing he did not change anything so i believe you know what in that context because he's not very good he probably actually would have stopped deadpool (laughs) because he would have been like well this is the one thing i do have to change but i i do not believe that cap going back for that dance will be what causes the the universes to fold though i do think there is a very 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 good argument that that is the easiest way to explain it because that whole thing is just the timeline is so messy and the idea that he could go back and not change anything is it doesn't make sense with the interior logic of the Uh, movies let me ask you this do we with a cap of it all the to me the biggest bump (laughs) with cap going back and just like living in a in a a life of you know of romance uh with his beloved is that he wouldn't tell anyone that shield is actually nazis yeah i'm telling <laughs> you that shield is and actually, also like that's do we one day find out that he tried did he and that kiss, created some kind of fucking spin, spin, splinter universe did, somewhere else did he kiss his own blood relation niece is that who wow. sharon Carr is because i don't understand yeah. also like how did he go back in time and live a peaceful life so was does that mean that the other version of captain america was the entire time going through time and being Captain America, because then he must have just stayed in the house the whole time. It's very confusing. I hope he did try to tell someone about S.H.I.E.L.D., because that's really messed up. Um, I will also ask you, one of my... A A asked a really fun thing, which was like, how do... What's your dream team-up of a Fox character and an MCU character? What's yours? Oh, gosh. Wow. Um, You know, I would... (sighs) This is kind of recency bias, but Logan and Cap mm. finding classic out style. that they had, yeah, classics. This is this is age old. This is an age old pairing in the comics. But finding out that they have a history mm. somehow in World War II, you know, in some of the stuff that we didn't see in Captain America: First Avenger, their paths crossed. Maybe he was part of the Howling Commandos. Everybody thought he died. Maybe they ran some. Maybe they were. You know when, uh, when 
the U.S. military command realized the kind of mm. impact that Captain America had. Maybe they pull him out for a weekend and pair him with this shadowy agent named Logan, who's maybe from Canada, maybe from somewhere else. Nobody really knows. <laughs> Nobody and they, knows. And they send them, they send them mm. on some secret mission to do that. whatever. But I think those two together, there's just there's just a lot of there's a lot of possibilities there. Along those similar veins, you know. At this point, uh, Namor is the oldest, mm-hmm. you know, the oldest character in the MCU. And and we know that Logan is like 100 and, uh, oh gosh, he would be like, what, 140? Yeah, at least. 100, 145 years old, something like that, right? I, I think that there's a world in which those two could have could have crossed paths. Yeah. What about you? Oh, I think this is such a fun question. So my, I have some like immediate, like funny ones that I would love to see for gag answers, which is like, I'd love to see our, you know, our amazing Kamala Khan meet Wolverine. That's like her favorite in the comics. I'd love to see a Logan, a cranky Logan Wolverine and a Kamala who knows him somehow. That would be fun. Uh, Also, I think now Tom Holland is more of age and the character is of age you know i would like to see that ryan reynolds tom holland deadpool spider-man there's like such a fun fun. flirty weird cheeky dynamic but on a if i was going to pick one thing just because this is kind of a cheat because i really just want these characters to be in the mcu i would want to see kamala go to the school upstate and for all of laura kinney and the new mutants that they basically established like richter and everyone from that brilliant kind of phase of Logan. I'd love to just see them there. I felt like that group of kids was one of the most exciting kind of possibilities that we never got to explore. So that would be my my real one. But I think I think the other two are, are a little bit more likely. One possibility also, and we've talked about it before, and this might be too much hat on a hat with all the multiverse <laughs> stuff and er- erasing Many realities have. that have, have already happened. But I also think that there is there's a path where Charles Xavier made everybody forget. Oh, definitely. Mutants. I think all so. the shit happened. You know, various sentinel pogroms have happened. You know, there have been, you know, the the uh the shit back in the 60s in mm-hmm. X-Men First Class actually happened. But then Charles Xavier was like, you know what? This is too much fucking trouble. I just want to raise my kids, my child soldiers in peace. I am going to hook myself up to Cerebro and just because I am so yeah. fucking powerful, I'm going to make everybody forget oh, he's about evil. it. And he does. He's evil, Charles. As we know, he has that side. And he has Gene hooked up to like a Cerebro, like in a coma, just doing it constantly. That would oh be so bleak. But I do. I feel like Charles has it in him i i love that i would love if there's one character i'd love to see them bring back and do something really unexpected with it is uh james marsden as cyclops because like i'm not a cyclops they did fan, him dirty but they did him they dirty. did him dirty and imagine if he i always thought the coolest thing to do with cable because um that's Scott Summer's son, just in case you didn't know, know that makes a lot of sense i always thought it would have been really cool <laughs> if they cast Marsden as Cable as well, but like grizzled him up. But seeing as we have, you know, Josh Brolin Cable, I would love to see that version of Scott come back and they do something along the lines of that like psychic romance with Emma that they did in New X-Men. You know, I would love to see a kind of aged up downer Scott because I think that's the most interesting Scott. But, you know, how they will introduce the Fox 
characters or or get rid of them, we are probably the only people who are talking about it more than the Marvel Studios <laughs> offices because they are talking about it every day. I swear to God, this must be the conversation. Okay, last one. Uh, Magic, Ilyana Rasputina and, and and Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange just mm-hmm. wandering around the uh, the canyons of the yeah, magical and let's multiverse. Keep Anya. That is like a badass yeah. piece of casting. Bring her in. Yeah. Just happens upon uh, the realm that is ruled by Ilyana. Whew, I love and, that. Or or gets a gets a hint of this powerful magic figure mm-hmm. with this gigantic sword out there, and maybe that gives us that would be a cool pairing as well. Yeah, I really love um, that. Should we do? Uh, let's do Spidey. Yeah, let's do Spidey. Okay, Anthony asks, and Anthony uh, submitted this question multiple times, so thank you. So we got it. We got it. We got to do it. Yeah. Um, how is Spider-Man going to be incorporated into the MCU going forward? He's too big of a character in Marvel history with interactions with so many of the remaining heavy hitters in today's MCU. They can't just have him be forgotten because of a spell. We've got so much history with him and Strange, Daredevil, the F, the Fantastic Four, Fury, Sam as Cap, Miles. You know, we hope he shows up soon, which I think we can also add I onto the- I think he will. I, I yeah. think that's I a lot say, that we say Let's, let's yeah. add that onto the end of this question because we got a lot of people yeah. like Gloria asking about Miles. And uh, I will say, I think the most important thing to remember about the spell, which- is easy to forget because there was a lot going on in that movie. Yeah. People know who Spider-Man is. They know that Spider-Man exists. They just do not know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And they basically essentially wiped the memory of Peter Parker out kind of cosmically of everyone who is in that universe. There will likely, as we have talked about before, be an exception. There will be someone who is off planet. There will be someone who remembers him. Um, potentially. So Spider-Man's going to be there. The big question is, how does Spider-Man have personal interactions with these characters when so many of their relationships were based on the fact that he was this young hero who wasn't afraid to show them his face, who was sweet, who had this hot aunt, all these personal things. That was what made him beloved in the Avengers. That was how he, you know with his little pajama suit. Like, those were the memories people have. So the question is, does Spider-Man now become this kind of almost like a lone wolf hero who people are like, oh, he's so enigmatic. None of us know who he is. What's And when does that get broken? I do think that, I've spoken about this before, like we've chatted about it on the pod, but I do think that his role right now actually helps us seed Miles because it essentially makes him a figurehead instead of a, a person. It'll, and that could it'll inspire be, Miles. Imagine what a huge emotional moment it's going to be when potentially upon Peter's mortal wounding at the mm-hmm, hands of mm-hmm. one of his great enemies, the spell is broken. And all of a sudden people remember who Peter is as he's like, laying dying because he's gonna die so it doesn't matter i I love i I just think that there's gonna i think there's gonna be a massive emotional impact when they break that spell and i think it's probably gonna be as we say goodbye to tom holland in the mcu i i i think what they're gonna do is go to the kind of in air quotes 
kind of classic mm-hmm. mid-80s and 90s Spider-Man stories, working at the, bu- you know, the version of the Bugle. He's going he's gonna to be get an adult job. Yeah, we it's did leave him for... kind of in the most classic Spider-Man setup. He's in a shitty apartment. He needs to get a job. That's it. He doesn't have, like, Tony Stark paying for him. It's almost a new origin story, which I loved. It's- that's exactly where I'm going. He's going to he's gonna get a job working for J. Jonah Jameson, who's going to be a fucking complete asshole. And he's going to be like, <laughs> oh, right around. And he's going to be scuttling around trying to get some money. Uh, maybe he's going to date. Maybe he's going to run into a, 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 a jewel thief uh, lady who all of a sudden he uh, mm-hmm. has some like romantic sparks there with. There is many. But he's going to be. Peter Parker is a. Uh, a ladies' man is the polite He's way to put it. There were many. He's a, 80s and 90s Peter was a fucking heartthrob. There and are so many I think that that's, potential love interests, and I think those will come I into think, play. I think that that's where we're going to go, is the kind of classic 80s and 90s Spider-Man stories where he's, you know, a young adult guy with a job just trying to balance paying the rent mm-hmm. with doing Spider-Man hijinks. Meanwhile, everybody's like, who the hell is Spider-Man? We have no idea. I also will say that I think that, I think when they reconfigure the Avengers, he's also, he's going to be part of whatever the new Avengers team is when they finally put that team back together. Yeah, I think that's all, that's that's the way it's going to go down. Also, I'm very interested. What do you think, before we get to Miles, because I do think that's the biggest outstanding question in the MCU, pretty much above anything else. Do you think, I think that we will see them do a version of the black suit Spider-Man stuff with Tom, with the little bit of the venom that has been left by Tom Hardy. Good old Tom Hardy there, you know, helpfully leaving (laughs) some symbiote. He has served his purpose. He served his purpose. (laughs) Feige sent him back to his own universe (laughs) where he can, you know. The symbiote test tube. Where he can jump around and eat some lobsters. Do What do you think? Do you think we'll see it with Tom? I think that could be very cool, but it has been done obviously so iconically in Spider-Man 3 that it's now come back around to people loving it. I love that movie. But... Or do you think they'll do something different where we would see Flash get it and you get that different version of Venom? Or you would see, uh, you know, uh, maybe they go straight to a, a more uh, planet, you know, sim- planet symbiote, kind of like multiple different symbiotes existing in the MCU. Maybe they want to Venomize everyone. They love to do that in the comics. What do you think? Because the, the symbiote I being s- there and Peter not being Peter and kind of publicly known as Peter, I think is... That's leading somewhere. I think you give it. I think the symbiote can't be in the MCU without being drawn to Peter, Mm -hmm. considering the origins of the symbiote, you know, in the uh, in the Sony version of the universe. Right. The Sony version of the symbiote. It knew knew him. It knows him. Right. It's going to be drawn to him. So I kind of think logically there's kind Mm -hmm. of. It makes, I know they've done it before, but they've done it before in an alternate universe. And I think that symbiote is going to seek Peter out. Also, it it's would be so cool out. to see like a, a a more, that, I love Spider-Man 3, but you know, someone who didn't love Venom is, is Sam Raimi. He's not a huge fan. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. um, I'd love to see a real spooky, cool, weird version. And you have Peter having to go through that himself because he doesn't have that support base. And then you could establish your primary Venoms. I mean, I'm very interested 
the implications of No Way Home, who does and doesn't exist. I mean, are, you know, they kind of said, you, you have Norman and he's like, where is my son? You know, and there's this idea that Norman doesn't exist in that universe, Norman Osborn. But does he? Like, those are the characters I think we could see in that kind of 80s and 90s, more classical Spider-Man as we imagine him from that era. I think those are the big questions. Which villains are now going to appear in the MCU who has suddenly have been there the whole time or who he meets at college? You know, his little friends. I will say one more thing. The symbiote may be the only person that remembers Peter Parker. Oh! Because not so, technically like a human. Not technically a human. From a different Wasn't, universe. From a different universe. Remembers Peter Parker, but not this one. And I think that there, I think there's a lot of ways around, I think there's a lot of ways around the spell through the symbiote. I love that. And it just makes so much sense that he's going to seek Peter out. Yeah. It just makes too much sense to me that he would do it. Okay. And your, your like one line pitch for like how Miles will make it into the MCU. Uh, he just what you said. He inspires Miles towards wanting to be this person who makes a difference in the way Spider Man makes a difference, and it's and it's the death of Peter Parker mm-hmm. that that propels him on his journey. Um, and and like that's one of the most impactful deaths in yeah. Marvel Comics in the Ultimate Universe. It is just it. It's crushing. It's inspirational. It's amazing. It leads to so many great interactions for Miles, too, and great relationships. And I think you got to do it again. Snot Olstad asks, can Cody Ziggler reveal whose idea it was to return Miles to his classic costume for his new run? I've got Zig cemented on my pull list, but the streetwear suit was the best Miles suit of all time. Let's go to Zig himself for the answer. You know what, um, Snot? Uh, this may shock you and this may even surprise you, uh, but your boy, Cody Ziegler, had absolutely no say in uh, selecting uh, Miles' return to his classic costume. I also agree. I was also a really big fan of the um, streetwear suit um, designed by Chase Conley, a uh, fantastic um, um, illustrator and, and, and comic comic artist and, and, and obviously uh, designer uh, in his own right. Um, funny enough, when that suit was first um, sort of being floated around, I remember I got an email from Nick Lowe, who's the uh, head editor for the Spider Offices, just like sort of getting, uh, he wanted to get like my take on um, on the suit update. And uh, it is, I think I wrote back, it's like, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Um, the version that eventually they, they um, ended up landing on was a little bit more simplified than the one that uh, I originally saw, but, um, uh, and gave notes on. But if you go to Chase Conley's um, Twitter or Instagram, uh, they've had they they've posted their original designs for it. You can see it's got these really cool like straps, um, like tech wear tech wear like straps and stuff um, uh, on the suit that didn't really make it to towards the the final version because I believe they were concerned that it'd be too complicated for artists to keep drawing that every time it's like a huge action scene, which I get. But also, you know, part of me, uh, if you know anything about me, I'm a huge streetwear fan, so I was a bit bummed about that. Um, but yeah, uh, that was that. That's the that was like the the practical reason. Um, but I think from like a story standpoint or like a narrative standpoint, um, you know, a, a lot of this arc that I'm going to be writing is about um, sort of starting a new status quo and starting things over, and Miles going back to his roots. So I think thematically, it 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 
it makes sense. Um, but, um, you know, maybe there's a way I can weasel my way into getting, uh, have that, that his, his, his last suit pop up again, uh, and some future stories. Cause I am a big fan of it, uh, and a big fan of chase, uh, to begin with. So Snot, I hope that uh, answers your question and, uh, thanks for reading and, uh, hope you continue to enjoy, enjoy the mile story. We're going back. Back to Westeros, one of Jason's favorite Let's places. Let's go. I, I love it I'm there. Ready. I I've, do love it there. I, I don't it. know what to say. It I feels know what like, to say. I love it there. It feels like you're going back on a nice vacation. Bailey asks, oh, this one, you're going to go deep on this one. Is Adam of Hull, and then in equals sign, Lena, possible? Question. And if not, do you think House of the Dragon will revisit Lena at all? I... My initial reaction, and this is how I still feel when I when uh, this theory started popping up, is that it would be it would be maybe too confusing to bring Lainor back as Adam Fall. So Adam of Hull is um, a, a bastard of Driftmark, uh, uh, one of the so-called dragon seeds. This is I should add. Spoilers for House of the Dragon uh, <laughs> seasons two, three, and and beyond. So as the need for dragon riders becomes more pressing, uh, thus the search for people with uh, Valerian lineage uh, uh, is launched. And one of the people they find is Adam of Hull, who is one of the so-called dragon seeds, a bastard fathered by some member of the Valerian lineage who's just been running around Driftmark. Uh, you know how much they love brothels and stuff. Uh, and, uh, and then he becomes a dragon rider, uh, also riding sea smoke, of course, Lainor's uh, former dragony becomes uh, a uh, quite an important uh, figure in the middle of this war. I think it would be. How would you hide it from people? I think that mm. Lainor is too notable a person for it to work. But I think that there, are, man, if you could really crack the code on how it could work, it would be pretty fucking amazing. That would be. But really I cool. don't. I. It just feels like it just the fact that there was never even a whisper in the histories, you know, the, the reason the Lenor reveal the fact that he uh, was not killed and he actually survived and escaped. The, the reason it has such an impact is there's no hint of that in mm -hmm. the histories and in the, in the various tellings of that history, uh, most notably Fire and Blood, which tells us that. No one even thought of it. There was never even a hint. There was never even a rumor that. Hey, and, and there are lots of uh, examples throughout Westeros' history of people pretending to be other people, coming back as other people, saying, hey, I'm actually this person when they're not. <laughs> uh, do you know, in, in uh, Dance of Dragons, there's currently a uh, Aegon, Aegon Targaryen running around who everybody is calling Fagon because pretty much people are pretty convinced that he's not actually a Targaryen. This happens a lot in that world. And the fact that nobody, the fact that it's not mentioned in a text tells me that nobody even, uh, you know, had a hint of it, which kind of suggests to me that Lenore is not Adam of Hull, yeah. Adam Valerian. It's like, it would have to be the slickest, most foolproof transformation of all time. It would have to time. be a really great way of doing it. Like, he's all scarred up. Something happened to him over there in Essos where he looks like a different guy mm -hmm. and nobody even has a hint of it. Yeah. Um, and, and even to the point, because I think that, obviously, I think... <laughs> You know, I think Corliss and Rhaenys would act 
would react very, very negatively to yes. the realization that their son shirked all responsibilities and fled. So if they did do it, he would have to hide his identity from certainly his parents and everyone but Rhaenyra. Mm-hmm. Like, it, he would just, it would just have to be, and, and Damon, it would just have to be the most tightly guarded secret. That's the only way to do it. Um, and Bailey has a very important follow-up question. Do you think you'll ever say Kyburn in the style of Grandmaster Pycelle on X-Ray Vision? Do you? And have you ever said Kyber, as in the crystal from Star Wars, in that way? I can do it right now. Kyber? Kyber? Kyber, the crystal is uh, crystal very powerful. Uh, I, have, I have said Kyburn in just a natural conversation uh, ever since recording those... <laughs> <laughs> those sound bites years ago, and I continue to uh, enjoy doing it. And thanks for uh, thanks for bringing it up, Bailey. Josh asks, I'm reading through uh, Game of Thrones books for the first time, currently on book five, Dance of Dragons, and faltering because I'm scared six and seven will simply never see the light of day. Welcome to the very, very populated club. Any encouragement you can give me would be appreciated. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, do you want to start off with any encouragement yeah. on why you should continue? You know what I would say? This is such a hard question, especially when the book series is probably the most famously currently unfinished book series in the world to the point where it's like <laughs> yeah, become a meme. Tell me about you it. You know, what I would just say, I would just say, just enjoy each book as you go. One, yeah. these books are very long. Two, if you're like me and Jason, you can reread them. And three, the books exist in a vacuum outside of whatever comes afterwards and i would just say that if you're enjoying them read them take a little break if you want and also you know what just trust george he says he's gonna finish them so i'm like let's just take him at his word he love he's put this world together he spent decades creating it he says he's been on a great streak of writing lately so uh, i don't know uh, I, I remain <laughs> hopeful even as I realize, as I hear myself say that, that that sounds crazy. <laughs> um, I would say, and I completely agree with you, Rosie. I would say, Josh, that I don't know where you are in the book, so I need to be careful, mm-hmm. right, saying stuff. But there are moments, and I guess I'll mention that uh, Wyman Manderley, the Lord of White Harbor, is involved in 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 the most notable of these. There are moments in A Dance of Dragons that had me at the edge of my seat because I could finally feel like the story was turning towards something of a resolution. And there is an incredible Wyman Manderley speech in that book that to this day I will break out and reread because I think it's so good. Mm-hmm. There's like just some really, really wonderful moments. And it is, listen, it is disheartening to realize that like it's like basically stuck at like season five of Game of Thrones. Like that's where we've been stuck for like 12 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. years. But but I I think there's some incredible, incredible like sun breaking through the clouds mm. moments in A Dance of Dragons that if you've come this far are absolutely worth seeing through. Um, and listen, again, I remain hopeful. I remain hopeful. Hope, hope will find a way. I also believe that, you know, that there, in a cynical sense, there is no kind of media 
entity mm. currently in existence that is going to leave hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. Those books will come out. Will George write them? That is the question. Yeah. How will they be created is the question. But those books are going to come out one way or another. Um, I know George has said that he doesn't want that to happen. I guess cynically, I feel like that's just one of those things that is going to happen. Those books will will come out. They will be. And if George doesn't write them, which I think he will, again, I remain hopeful. They'll be based off his notes, something like that. I, and I certainly think I remain. I know that I'm going to be roasted for this. I remain 97 percent sure that we will see Winds of Winter. 97 percent. I believe we will see it. What year? <laughs> Q4 2023. <laughs> a hopeful man, a hopeful man. <laughs> holiday, holiday 2023. Okay, moving on. Uh, Maddie asks, what would be your dream mission to see on the upcoming season of The Bad Batch, which uh, the first two episodes are out now, and I think they're great. They're really great. Uh, I think they're really, really strong. This is just such a delightful show i love these characters for me really anything centering around omega i've always been a huge kind of tantalizing character kid sidekick person and i think that this is one of the most interesting spaces within that i also think the first two episodes hint at some good missions that we're going to get around the kind of realities of Order 66 and what happens when it doesn't occur. So basically, I just want to see this ragtag found family go on a mission. Maybe after the end of last season where Crosshair kind of split off from them, I'd love to see them maybe have to help him out, some kind of reconnection there. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited and I'm, I'm glad that our listeners love the show so much because I do think it's a really, really special show. I would love to see some... And we got hints of it, uh, particularly in the second episode of the current season when, you know, the Bad Batch are kind of debating amongst themselves how how involved in the non-existent fight that is currently mm -hmm. going on they should get. Should we we understand that something terrible is going on, has gone on with the rise of the empire. Should we do something to stop it? And I would be really eager to see their role in the formation of what we now call the Rebel Alliance, Ooh. if that if there is a role yeah. for them to have. Um, because just the fact that they're debating it, you know, this is obviously a debate that's going on in this particular timeline, in this particular uh, time in galactic history, you know, in various dis different parts mm -hmm. of uh, this story. And I think that the fact that they are having that conversation means that, you know, could we see we're already seeing them kind of get mixed up with their former clone compatriots in a raid and an attempted heist, you know, uh, uh, of Count Dooku's, you know, former riches <laughs> that could bring them into conflict with any number of imperial figures, mm -hmm. early imperial figures, including maybe, you know, Tarkin, maybe. I think that I, I would just love to see, because we don't know anything about it, yeah. I would love to see if they play any role in the formation of the Rebel Alliance and what that would look like. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, I love that, especially because the thing that makes the Bad Batch so special and the way that Filoni has used the animation in general, 
is to look at all the different small parts that come together to make the whole that is the rebellion, the people who are background, who are collateral damage in the, you know, the case of the clones, and to kind of expand on that. So I think that'd be a lovely way to see it. And then finally, a couple of questions about The Last of Us, which is going to debut next Sunday on HBO Max. Max asks, don't know if you'll cover this on the pod, but I'm hyped for The Last of Us. How much of the first game do you guess will be covered in the first season? What do you think will make this zombie show different from others, like The Walking Dead, for instance? Um, And then After Bedtime Gamer asks, will you be covering The Last of Us adaptation for HBO? If so, any thoughts leading into the premiere? Yeah, first of all, we're going to be covering it. We are Uh, covering it, baby. We can reveal now as we enter this phase of the X-Ray Vision podcast. X-Ray Vision will be in your ears twice a week, Wednesdays and Fridays. This Friday's episode, we're going to be covering um, The Last of Us game. It's going to be our first installment on the story of The Last of Us the first Last of Us game, uh, which is a, just a tremendous storytelling experience, tremendous game experience. We can't wait to bring that to you. And yes, we will be covering the the show on a on a weekly basis. Um, it's in terms of Max's question, Rosie. Uh, how how much do you think they're going to cover I, in, the, in the first episode in the first season? I'm going to be real. I think that the game. I think you could tell the most important parts of the game in a season. And I think that would be the smartest thing to do. Do I think they're going to do that? Probably not. I think that we will probably, I think they'll probably stretch out over two seasons. Though the game is this kind of all-encompassing, and we've both been replaying it, like it's this all-encompassing storytelling. So much of the time is taken up by you inhabiting the role, and obviously we're not going to be in that space. So I, yeah. I, I personally think you could do a brilliant limited series, but seeing as this has the potential to be the most successful video game adaptation of all time, you know, touch wood, I'd assume they're going to stretch it out a bit. I think... Yeah. Yeah, what do you think? Oh, no, I, I was, I'm completely agreeing with you. I think what will make this different is going... What's going to make this different is than uh, than, uh, The Walking Dead in particular is the kind of part of the kind of drama generator of this story is a cure. Mm -hmm. A cure is possible. Mm -hmm. Unlike in The Walking Dead where everybody's just like, this is what the world is now and you just have to deal with it. The the, what gives (laughs) The Last of Us game its devastating emotional and moral punch is a decision has to be made about trying to make a cure. Mm -hmm. And what we would sacrifice to do it. Right. And that is, I think, I think that is. And that is a big difference. It's a big difference. That is a huge difference because it's about selfishness. It's also, it's about like, it's also finality that The Walking Dead didn't have at the time because the comic book was ongoing. I will also say, in replaying the game, something that blew my mind, and I'm really excited to talk about this game and and its kind of origins because something that kind of blew my mind was the game was being developed a year before The Walking Dead got onto TV. Now, the game was probably inspired, at least in part, by the comics, but there are a lot of differences, and and you can see that it becomes this cyclical thing where the Walking Dead TV show also starts to feed off The Last of Us and the way The Last of Us tells stories. One of the biggest differences that I think that I was kind of really blown away with playing the game again, I think it's that The Last of Us is a game 
that is very bleak and has these immense moral choices and is very sad and scary, but it has these unbelievable moments of beauty almost constantly throughout the game. Even if you're just walking around in a broken down landscape about to kill 10 people. By the way, Tess is a psycho. Like she really made me murder so many people when I started playing the game. She's an absolute psycho. But you know what? Like she's a traumatized person as every survivor is. No judgment, but I was shocked. I was killing a lot of people and I I had forgotten that part. But um, even when you're just walking around the city, you go from, it's not that Resident Evil style, Walking Dead style. Everything is grim. Everything is dark. Everyone is getting... Uh, eaten by a zombie at all points there is a lot of quiet and there are these moments of beautiful overgrown nature of peace of and i hope that that is going to be something that they keep in the show because that will really make it stand out against that kind of grim grit and kind of constant grind of the walking dead yeah we can't wait to dive into that show thanks for all your questions up next nerd out In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, listener Swadi pitches us on the Netflix reboot of She-Ra. Hello, Jason, Rosie, and my fellow nerds. My name's Swadi, and I'm here today to share my love for She-Ra, the 2018 Netflix reboot of the classic 1980s animated series that I grew up on. This version of She-Ra is gay Star Wars, with a Lisa Frank aesthetic and a bit of Sailor Moon thrown in. It's the most wholesome show I've ever watched, perfect for adults and children. It made me laugh, made me cry, warmed my heart, and I just want to watch it over and over. Also, it has a banging theme song I can't help but sing every time I watch. The show is hilarious with wildly funny characters and ridiculous shenanigans you'd expect from a kid's show, but it also has a very deeply moving story about good versus evil. A quick synopsis. Adora and Katra are orphans raised by the Horde, a military unit similar to the Empire. One night, Adora finds a magical sword that transforms her into the legendary warrior princess, She-Ra. She learns that the Horde is evil and trying to take over their world, Etheria. Adora teams up with the princesses of power, but to save the world, she has to go against her best friend since childhood, Katra, who doesn't want to leave the Horde. Over the course of the show, Adora searches for her origins as she fights to do the right thing without sacrificing the people she loves. Over five seasons, She-Ra explores themes of identity, friendship, sacrifice, and love. The stakes are high in this show. The Princess Alliance is fighting to save Etheria and the universe. I would compare this to Star Wars Rebels in the depth of character development and the epic battle of good versus evil. But my favorite part about She-Ra is how unabashedly queer it is. In Etheria, queerness is just a normal part of society and life, as it should be. Princes are married, people have gay parents, and we even have a very fun non-binary character, Double Trouble, voiced by non-binary actor Jacob Tobia. It's how the world should be, with queerness existing the same as straightness. Also, Adora and Catra are the best will-they-won't-they ship in TV. They are also deeply heartfelt characters, as are the rest of the cast, which includes Karen Fukuhara, the actress who plays Kimiko on The Boys, as Princess Glimmer. So go watch She-Ra on Netflix. It's five seasons of hilarious hijinks and epic battles. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. For the honor of Grayskull, Catradora forever. Thanks, Swati, for submitting. If you want to be featured and send your nerd out pitch to x-ray at crooked.com, instructions in the show notes. 
That's it for us. Big thank you to the listeners for submitting so many incredible questions. Happy 2023 to everybody. We didn't get to all of them, but we will, of course, continue to do more mailbags on the show. Rosie, it's time for plugs. What do you have to plug? You can find my work on all the usual sites. I have a website, rosynight.com, which will send you to all of them. There's also zines and comics on there. You can find me on Letterboxd and Instagram at Rosie Marks. And I will be covering The Last of Us at IGN. I'll have some cool stuff coming out at Primetimer about some other rad shows that are coming out soon. And yeah, just, you know, as soon as February comes around, we'll be... We'll be ant manning hard, so enjoy this yes, we will. MCU break. <laughs> Catch the next episode of the X-Ray Vision Pod this Friday, January 13th, because remember, we're now coming to you twice a week. That's twice the deep dives, twice the tinfoil hat theories, twice the we were rights, twice the nerd outs, twice the everythings. Double it and pass it on. Yeah, and if you like us, you know what to do. Subscribe to the show on YouTube. Follow on XRV Pod on Twitter. Check out the Discord, where me and Jason are active, and you can hang out with a bunch of cool people who are always having great thoughts, great theories, great recommendations. It's a total joy to be in there. Got to shout out the mods because they keep that just the most positive, exciting place to be. And yeah, five-star reviews, baby. We love them. Here's this episode's five-star review from Jamison Haas. A truly comprehensive look at the stories we tell. Jason and Rosie do such an amazing job of digging deep and bringing their diverse backgrounds and stories into their analysis. That's so nice. Thank you. Thank you. We try our best. Thank you, Jamison. We love the five-star rating. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. See you next time. Hold up. 